Red Star Radio. Voice of the Revolution. I call him the socialist slash communist. See, it's no in between. You're either free or you're a slave. I am a revolutionary, and I am a proletarian. Or, or all that sort of thing. Except I know that's ironically. obvious, but you know, just just to let you all know. Except ironically, right? Oh. All right. So I think first, what we need to do is uh, we need to define our positions and explain our positions. Um. So, I'll just uh, I'll. I'll, I'll just pick who goes first using the time-tested method of eeny, meeny, miny, mo. <laughs> so let's see. Eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Catch a dagger by a so. If you holler, yeah. let him go. Right, come on. My Lennon says you'll go. Okay, so Red Star team, uh, Sergio and Evan, we'll, we'll define their positions first. Okay, uh, I'm going to go first. Uh, I consider myself to be a generic Leninist. And by that, I mean I don't give out a specific following word after that in that you know, Trotsky, Tito, Stalin, Castro, Che, Mao, Mein, Hoja, all that. They had their strengths and weaknesses. So I think it's pretty pointless to try to debate which of them was the best and just take what they did right and learn from them and what they did wrong and try to correct it in the future. Because at the end of the day, uh, all of them, in a way, did consider themselves to be followers in the tradition of Lenin. So, yes, that's my position, generic Leninist. It makes me very interesting when the MLs or Maoists and the Trots all have a debate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess I more or less agree with that. Um, I would call myself Leninist. I would um, hang a pendant of Lenin over my mantle, which you can see in a previous video. What was it called? Sagron of a cad gets destroyed. You can see yeah. it. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah. Um, that was a good one. Uh, and Leninism, here, here's a preview of my next video. Leninism is an extension of nar- Marxist theory founded by Russia. No, uh, I won't re- read the whole thing. But yeah, basically, I, I agree with uh, Sergio on that. Um, or Taryn. Go by yeah. internet names. I, I come from a Trotskyist background, so that's kind of the position that I'm most familiar with. And. Um, tend to side with, I guess. Um, It'll make the debate a whole lot more easier because now, like, they can just ask us questions on Lenin, Stalin, Castro, and yeah. all that. And um, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. If if you guys if you guys also want to add questions as well, uh, I, I I can allow that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do I check the chat now? I'm gonna chat. All right. All right. Um, anyway. Okay. So all right. So we're going to go on to vegan. Um. Can Pedro go first? Pedro? Oh, is he is he is he part of the discussion too? <laughs> I don't know. I, I was just listening. <laughs> yeah. You wanted <laughs> here. It'll, it'll just be it'll just be me and Vegan for now. Okay. All right. All right. So you can, you can you can go ahead and define yourself first. All right. Go ahead. Vegan. Go ahead, can you Mr. Hear us? Vegan. Can you hear us? Oh, me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. You were Stalin, yeah, um, weren't you? Basi- <laughs> I was basi- I'm basically an anarcho communist with slight, well, not, well, with, com- with a little bit of green anarchist added to it. So I'm kind of both the red and black and green and black anarchist. 
and I reject hierarchical institutions like the state, and I say fuck Lenin. Oh, that's oh wow! Oh man, okay, it's getting I spicy. You were supposed to okay, all right. <laughs> Those are off now. Uh, okay. Um, yeah, I mostly agree. I mostly agree with vegan in general. I just uh, I read a lot of like Emma Goldman, Murray Bookchin, um, Noam Chomsky, you know, people like that. So that those are the people I mostly identify with and I agree with. Um, and I, I define myself as an anarcho-communist. I, uh, I I see a vision that um, that anarchism will will come into play first, and which will then come in come as co- communism. So that's 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 what I what I think is a. Uh, that's that's how I define myself, and also transhumanist too. Of course, I think I think most most socialists define themselves as transhumanists, um, and at least some some kind of like green socialists as well. So that that's pretty obvious, uh, of of course. But uh, that's that's how I define myself. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. So uh, first topic I have here. Um, so uh, this this might be a bit too general. But I would uh, this I have here that says uh, justifications for a state and arguments against. Um, so I'll have uh, Team Red Star, mm-hmm. uh, not me, of course. I mean, of course, I'm part of Team Red Star, but I mean, like just Evan and Sergio. Evan and Sergio uh, can go first in their uh, what, uh, why, why, what, what, what justifies having a state in a socialist society. Okay, um, I'm going to take this one first. Uh, I believe that the need for a state is well. Let's look at what are, you know, what is a state? It's basically a body that has the legitimate monopoly on violence and force in everyday society. And so, because of that, a state uh, we can all agree it has the ability to use force and pretty much like while people can question it, it, it is a pretty useful tool to have because well. After a socialist revolution was to occur, it, there is not really a massive guarantee that every single capitalist nation in the world will immediately follow suit. Although a mass general international strike would ideally be the best thing, uh, we'd have to bear in mind that some stay, some nations might finish their revolution first. Some nations uh, might uh, go all last when their socialist revolution finishes. And not to mention that a lot of states that, you know, during a revolutionary time uh, will still likely be capitalist and will try to counter any revolutions that may be happening within a neighboring nation. And we can pretty much see that happening in, let's say, Bavaria or in Hungary during the interwar era. Um, the uh, fact that the state was like, you know, pretty much, uh, there was like no single ability for like a state to counter the counter revolutionaries, uh, or the fact that, you know, uh, neighboring nations, like, I believe it was Germany and Romania would invade them. Uh, it goes to show you that you do need a, a monopoly on violence in order to counter the reactionary elements of society, whether it be foreign reactionary governments or whether it be, um, just, uh, counter-revolutionary forces from below because again um, you can't guarantee that everyone's going to be on board with your revolution and uh, let's be real a lot of right-wingers uh, during the revolutionary period are probably going to be setting up their own militias in an effort to counter their revolution and la- large powerful capitalist nations are obviously going to start uh, international efforts to squash the revolution as we saw with the Russian revolution because uh, you know Lenin had a central state it was easier for Lenin to organize forces and basically drive back the white army as well as the international intervention and it's also why the Eastern Bloc during the Cold War was pretty much able to stand 
uh, and you know, not face uh, any sort of uh, conventional uh, warfare. The states they had a central state to protect them. Like imagine, like if the Eastern Bloc was just a bunch of uh, anar- was just a bunch of like anarchist communes with like no central uh, with no central authority to direct where violence is going to be exerted. I mean, that would be nice and all, but when you're right next to NATO, that's not going to work out in your favor. Also, just um, I do believe that uh, there should be a welfare state in a transitional period, because while the welfare state is technically a Bismarckian method to stifle uh, socialist revolts, um, I do believe there should be welfare in the transitional socialist period to uplift people and guarantee certain things like healthcare, public transportation, which I believe are rights. And I believe that uh, these massive uh, national institutions uh, are best delivered uh, by a state because of their massive scale. I wouldn't put it quite the same. I would say that uh, when when you're talking about transitional period, that's um, usually the, that means you know a dictatorship of the proletariat or a socialist um, economy, the, the socialist phase of human development. Um, I would call that a worker state rather than a welfare state because, uh, sorry, I mean yeah. I, I don't want to get too much into semantics, but a, yeah, a, a welfare state is when the is when the capitalist state grants. Yeah, yeah, uh, I hate English. Uh, that's yeah, it's okay. Yeah, it's a bit, a bit of semantics, but yeah, that's what you meant. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's what I mean. So, Av, what do you say? Pretty much the same thing? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, in a more uh, traditional Marxist sense, um, uh, the, the state is an instrument of class rule, and um, in order to uh, get out of class society, the state, unfortunately, <laughs> has to be used to um, uh, liquidate the bourgeoisie, to, to get rid of the capitalist ruling class because they're not going to go away uh, without a fight. We've seen that time and time and time again. Um, it started pretty much uh, well, even before 1917. We saw it in 1871 with the Paris Commune. Sorry, the Paris Commune. Um, they they had to use force, um, and they, they they realized that the the necessity of that. That um, it's just better. I mean, I believe in the Leninist principle of uh, democratic centralism. If if the majority of of the people vote on something, then I don't think it's Ill- illegitimate for uh, people to forcefully carry it out. If it if it you know is a, is a plan to go towards socialism, um, because that's the only way forward. I see it. I don't I don't see it happening with. Um, a completely horizontalist uh, consensus-only decision-making model. Uh, it's just pretty much impossible. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. Okay. Um, Vegan, you want to you go first on this one? Oh, can you go first, Daniel? Okay. Um, all right. So... You mentioned that the state is necessary in order to fight uh, capitalism and capitalist invaders. I mean, um, which uh, which I, which can be seen, you know. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, this is like you know across history. That of course the capitalists and right wingers are definitely going to fight back, of course. Um, but I de- I don't necessarily see see why a state is necessary, considering uh, what really matters within a war is basically. Um, 
tactical tactical advantage as well as basically just having better weapons, better men, and better and better trained people. I don't really see. I don't really understand how why why an organizational structure like the state would matter in, in a fight. To be to be honest, because I mean, like for example, in Catalonia, the workers you know produced produced arms um, and uh, produced arms, armored cars, uh, and that and that sort of thing. Uh, to fight the fascists as well as the rep- Republican forces of of Spain, um, which yes, of course they lost, but that wasn't because they were that's, that wasn't because it was under a horizontalist approach. It was because the capitalists had better weapons and had better had had a uh, could produce more than uh, or the Catalonia or the Catalonia workers could. So I, that's that's what I don't get. Um, and another thing is that uh, you guys talk about how a state. Uh, well, yeah, like you define, yeah, I agree with your definition of the state that it indeed is a monopolization of, of violence, and that um, which which you argue ha- needs to happen in order to be used to fight capitalists. Um, but another thing is that when you have a monopolization on violence, you also monopolize that violence on on the, the state. Usually, mono- uses that violence on its own people. I mean, you know, of course, this gets right back into Kronstadt and stuff. But I, w- I would say go even further that that sort of thing is what uh, created the conditions to have Stalin in power and 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 you know have you know the creation of gulags and the Cheka and then later the KGB and stuff like that to be used against its own people. Um, so that that's why I see it as a problem. Um, although I do I do kind of agree with with Lenin's uh, demo- democratic uh, centralism. Actually, I don't really see why that be incompatible with anarchism because anarchism usually has, uh, of course, is, is of course very democratic, and we we can use multiple methods in order to come to a decision as as a majority of people uh, would. You know, um, although I do I do think consensus democracy is the best kind of democracy, but it's not the only kind that that anarchism would use. So right, once uh, you once you come to a decision, what do you do with that decision? Is it just a suggestion, or is it enforced in any way? Well, could you could you repeat your question one more time? Once you come to a decision, what do you do with it? Is it enforced, or is it just some suggestion that people can just follow if they feel like it? Well, I mean, certainly, you know. When there's a decision, people can obviously choose to to fall through with it. But gen- I mean, if we're discussing it anyway, that would imply that we we intend to carry out whatever decision we we come to. So that's I I don't, I still don't quite understand your question because you seem it seems like what you're what you're trying to say is like um, how can anarchists really carry out any decision when there could be. Are you saying? Are you saying that there's a poss- that if there's a possibility that somebody disagrees, that means we have to like start the entire process all over? Well, the whole point of democratic centralism is that a, a majority would rule, but that that implies that a minority opinion is possible. Well, yeah, yeah, anarchism that's a possibility too. Um, but generally, of course, with consensus though, that means the 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 minority can also have their own input in in, in a decision. Um. So I would say, of course, and of course, there's also the the positions of compromise as well. Um, yeah. I mean, like, like for example, in Catalonia, I can't remember, I can't remember which factory this was, but I remember uh, reading. Um, I, I read this in the Anarchist Fact, so uh, you know, check there for sources. <laughs> but 
um, there was like a shoe factory where um, the workers needed basically more materials. And what they wanted to do is like is like use their wages to buy like uh, materials from outside, you know, uh, Spain is, is what they wanted to do, which, of course, that would mean they would have to like, you know, pull money together in order to basically use that quote-unquote profit in order to buy the materials to get those shoes but they came to that agreement and and made the decision to do that even despite there could be you know minority decisions where they would say you know that'd be supporting the capitalists and we'd be using capitalist materials and stuff like that instead of producing our own um so that's that's that i would say that's like you know there's like that's like an there's like there's millions of examples i could use you know, just because there's like, I'm sure there's been many, 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 many decisions carried out in an anarchist society. So, but I mean, that's just like one example of how a consensus decision making, how, how anarchists could, can come to a decision and carry it and carry it out. Yeah, I know they can come to a decision that they agree on, but I'm saying what happens when a minority disagrees with uh, the decision and they don't want to uh, want to carry it out because wouldn't they be allowed to oppose it then? Yes. I mean, oh, sorry. Go on, vegan. Oh, I'm just saying yes. They should be. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. That's in general, and it's in like and again, as I said, we can come to a compromise with which 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 with the minority and majority can agree upon. That's essentially what consensus democracy is. Yeah, I know, but you said that you thought that democratic centralism is compatible with anarchism, and now you're saying that. Uh, a minority opinion should be allowed to uh, carry out their minority agenda against the interests of the majority. No, what I'm saying is that the majority and minority can come to a compromise. It's not necessarily they... Yeah, sometimes they can, but sometimes they don't. That's the whole point. Yeah, I mean, that's a possibility, but... Not just a possibility, it's an inevitability. Maybe, <laughs> maybe it maybe. is. Okay. Okay. Um, let, let's go back to uh, discuss. Could defend Dan for one second, which I know is going to sound incredibly weird. Okay. Um, even la- like I do believe that while a lot of people would call this tyranny of the majority, I do believe that uh, anarchists uh, and militias and all like, if, let's say, like if a minority was trying to drag everyone down or something. Uh, they could use force. I mean, like a mass um, unit of people is technically the exertion uh, and using the exertion of force would technically be governing. It's just that it's not done through a formal state, but I digress. All right. Uh, Vegan, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I would just like to point out whenever they tried Leninism, at least to like horrific, uh, Situations where people where people just keep getting murdered over and over again, and it leads to like a very horrible form of tyranny. So historically, Leninism well it leads to state capitalism, and it also and it also has a tendency of causing like all sorts of like mass starvations and mass genocide and stuff like that. Uh, I disagree. I kind of, I kind of don't see how that relates to what we're talking about with decision making, but yeah, I, I do want to switch over the topic. Um, yeah, I would also like to discuss uh, how why, why do you believe that Leninism wouldn't lead to something like Stalinism and basically this what, what do you call it? Um, I don't know. Also, also just kind of 
Well, basically, like how how Leninism doesn't lead to Stalinism, and then how that and then the progression of the Soviet Union toward the direction of becoming capitalist again. Um, well, for the same why, reason, why, why do you think that? For the same reason that Republicanism does not lead to Bonapartism or Cromwellism or what have you, uh, you know. Um, these these historical events happened within a historical context. They didn't. They they weren't dictated by um, the general trend of the ideology. That's that's kind of why I think that. So it it depends where it's carried out. If uh, Leninism is carried out in another uh, isolated country with backwards um, uh, with un- undeveloped. Uh, with an undeveloped economy, with um, the threats of sabotage and foreign invasion, uh, any country that faces all those things constantly is going to have uh, some very harshly uh, repressive, harshly repressive measures uh, that it uses to maintain its power. Because um, when you take power, unless there's a there's a completely perfect world revolution where they all take over at the same time, revolutionaries are going to be faced with a dilemma. Either push for socialism or um, you either give up the fight for socialism or you clamp down and... Sorry? Or face a counter-revolution. Or face a counter-revolution. You either clamp down and do whatever you think is necessary or you don't get to try socialism at all. Those are the only two options. And either option is going to be pretty brutal and have some downsides but uh them's the breaks there's no there's no third option where you just have perfect socialism because everyone just gets along and nobody wants to fight against it that's not something that historically has ever happened yeah but historically everywhere almost i don't know about everywhere but now when it's tried it tends to lead to the almost exact same results and it, it can easily it a strong man can easily come in there and use it as an excuse to install a dictatorship. Yeah, that's that happens with capitalist states as well all the time. It's the downside of trying to build a power base that's based in the people. If you are dealing with existential threats and underdeveloped economy, then, I mean, you can watch, um, what's it called? CGP Gray's video, The Keys to Power or something like that. It kind of uh, it, it kind of d- describes power in the way that I kind of think of it. Um, that if you don't build up a power base based in uh, you know mass participation in a democratic system, then you're going to have to rely on repressive measures. So um, it's a matter of building a workers' democracy that can be um, upheld. I guess. Do right. you think a workers' democracy could wait, wait, fight wait, back? Can I, this, uh, can I just add something more to? Yeah, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, and like if we were to look contextually in the situations uh, of the Eastern Bloc and its allies, I mean, it, there's a lot of nuance to it. I mean, Russia was a pretty underdeveloped uh, country during the time of the revolution, and it was pretty much going to be a massive allied effort in order to crush the, to crush the revolution and all that. So, yeah. Also, there's still a lot of backwards elements within Russia, like. Uh, as a result, I imagine that the dictatorship was going to be a natural result of pretty much being uh, surrounded by everyone on all fronts. And the Cold War was pretty much uh, like a very real, like the East and Western Bloc were pretty much very real threats to each other. Or how Cuba was like 
a former it was like a former colony uh, of the United States and it was like you know the Americans were pretty much are pretty much choking Cuba dry with a what's the word again yeah embargo yeah. and like not to mention Cuba was already pretty corrupt with the Batista, the mafia and all that. Like, again, mm-hmm. these dictatorships are the results of like the terrible, absolutely terrible situations of capitalism in the past. And the fact that like, you know, these elements of capitalism can only be crushed. Like when you have a full chokehold uh, within society or else, you know, you're going to get counter revolution very soon. Right. Yeah. It looks like we have a new challenger here. Yeah. Hi, Bobby. Yeah. Um, hi, I'm Bobby, a.k.a. Egoist of Pistavis Philosophy. And, okay. um, yeah, and, um, I'm, um, I'm an anarchist. Um, like, I'm, like... 10 out of 10 intro, by the way. <laughs> huh? Ten out of ten intro. <laughs> I can already sense the fear you have of us Leninists. <laughs> uh, nah, nah, I don't fear Leninist. I just think you're kind of stupid, to be honest. Oh, 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 okay. Oh, oh damn! The room. What the hell did he leave? <laughs> that was uh, that was ableist. In case any watching right, in case any in case any lives person is watching right now this is why leninism is superior i'm just saying i'm just saying <laughs> when you said like like you can smell the fear i was like think of like the, it could be like a lenin perfume smell the lenin <laughs> oh god wouldn't that just be the smell of the Museum in russia okay anyway um, all right, so uh, I, I want to I want to go back to Cuba real quick. Um, so you, oh, you, you would say that Cuba needed repressive measures uh, because of the embargo, right? Not not just because of the embargo. I, uh, I would really say that at all that that contributed to the bad state that they're in. But I think they needed repressive measures because they were invaded by the most powerful country in the history of human civilization. Right. Not, not to mention like three hundred over three hundred assassination attempts on Castro or something. Uh, something like that. The number yeah, like, inflated, but yeah. Yeah, or like well I'm pretty sure it was it had to be like at least in the dozens. I mean yeah. you have like and it's still gonna be a full on CIA effort to remove uh the, their communist neighbor. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, if we think about it, if a communist revolution were to happen in Canada, I would even imagine that, like, it wouldn't be long before Canada would have to enact some, you know, quote-unquote necessary measures because even though the situation in Canada is, like, comfortable for most people, I, from what I'd imagine, the United States is still south of the border, and we do know how the United States would react to the communist revolution across its border, especially with a land border, um yeah so yeah, yeah. It, it would be it would be pretty pretty rough um yeah if, if any country is is um trying to do something that every other country in the world doesn't want them to do and is fiercely opposed to the way i the way i would kind of describe it i think is um 
I assume everyone he, in here um, supports uh, trade union activity and uh, work, um, you know, workers' strikes and whatnot. Of course, uh, the way the way yeah. how I uh, the way how I would um, kind of describe it metaphorically is that it's like when workers go on strike and the strike starts to you know drag on and on, um, and, and and the workers' strike strike fund runs out and they don't have any income. In that moment their life is a lot worse off they they have no income they're just they're just uh walking up and down with a picket all day long with with no with no livelihood that's right. why they should go full insurrection right but but within but within this metaphor um when they're on strike their strike fund runs out their life is much worse off because they have no income but the point is that they're striking for something that will make their lives better in the long run. That's kind of how I see worker states. It's it, it's a situation where it really sucks in, in the short term, but the point is without doing that, there's no way to overcome capitalism and move on to a better stage of human development. Um, yeah, like the problem I and a lot of other anarchists have with the concept of of a worker state is that it's basically a nonsense concept because like all you're basically doing is you're essentially transferring the economic um, and depressive and exploitative conditions of capitalism to the state sector. So you're merely re- um, re- uh, merely moving the oppression from one stage of of economic subsistence to another rather than actually abolishing it, which is what anarchists strive to do. Right. I don't think so. The, 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 point of a, the point of a socialist revolution that ends in the installation of the worker state is not to simply move to a different ruling class or what have you. The, well, I mean, maybe it, that's not the intention, but that's almost always proven to be the ultimate effect historically. You hey, Bobby, um, Bobby, I'm going to stop you right there just real quick. Just let Evan finish his thought first, then you go. Okay. Okay, Evan, um, go ahead. Yeah, that's... I disagree. I, I I know people see it that way. I I don't really see it that way though, because um, when you have a worker state, you have the means of production nationalized and put in in the control of a public enterprise in the form of the state and state planning bureaucracy. That's I would argue that's a at least a partial break from capitalism because the means of production are no longer privately owned. There's no profit motive for, for um, them to have. So when there's no profit motive behind the, uh, behind the economy, behind the ownership of the means of production, then I don't see how anyone's being exploited. Like who, who are the profiteers in a worker state? Who is it that's actually profiting off of exploitation of labor I, I, I don't see how that happens. Can you explain how exploitation happens in a system where there's no private ownership of the means of production? Yeah. yeah. Like, 
like the thing is even um um even without private ownership of the means of production exploitation is still very much possible now yes certainly the profit motive contributes quite a bit to exploitation however um le- leninist um i find tend to do this very reductionist thing as if like the profit motive is the alpha and omega of all exploitation which simply is not true there are other exploitative forces that are just as bad if not even more so such as nationalism such as ableism such as um cultural sexism such as and such as apartheid such as slavery like and yes many of these systems are somewhat connected to the profit motive but many of them also predate the profit motive so that somewhat invalidates in my mind the leninist idea that the profit motive is the source of all evil in the world well it's a bit of a straw man i didn't say it's the source of all evil i said it's 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 how exploitation works because right. that's as i understand it that's the marxist understanding of exploitation it's is the extraction of surplus value from the worker uh to go into private hands yeah. um well yeah well the anarchist concept of exploitation is a little bit broader than that okay um, if if i could if i could just butt in here i kind of uh i i kind of want to change this to a sort of different direction i still want to keep it within talk about like profit motive and exploitation and, and whatnot um but real quick what what i what i don't understand cuz like i mean yes i i i think that a, a state can definitely exploit its people without having to have a profit motive um but real quick uh how would cuz like we we're talking about um we live today in a monetary society of course right so in a lot of the profits uh come from come from workers wages and of course the uh the how do i put it um yes a lot of profits come from work, work, the workers wages which is of course you know the less wages the higher the profits right that, that we can generally agree on this so yeah yeah. Okay. So what what I want to know is how how a monetary system works under state socialism because what I understand that like, you know, Titoism had like a market-based socialism as uh and you had had used used money. Uh Russia used money, you know, China even used money. So what what I like to know is is how a how how workers and and those who uh you know, those who are in charge of the state you know, manage that kind of this this uh, this wage system, and how that doesn't create a profit motive. That's, that's what I like to know. How, how does a monetary system work in state socialism? I don't get your question. You're asking about monetary systems or something else. I, I'm just generally asking how a, how a monetary system works under state socialism. That's what I mean. Well, uh, like the. Me, sort of medium-term goal would be to le- move towards labor vouchers, so that uh, someone's labor is represented in a voucher that they exchange for goods, and it would 
I mean, I don't know. I haven't really studied a whole lot about this, but as I understand, that would kind of help um, prevent, uh, you know, speculation and hoarding and and uh, what have you. Um, but un yeah. until I, I, I think that that's something that could only be achieved once they've, you know, progressed pretty far towards socialism. Um, but until then, it would kind of just be regular money, I guess. Uh, and in fact, that's that's what they've had. They've had regular money, as as far as I know, that works the same. I mean, there's bills and coins, and they they get that for their wages. Um, the same as the, what? The, sorry, the, like the same as in in any other system. So even in capitalism, you mean? Yeah, they have they have money because they haven't moved on to a moneyless society yet. That's that's something for you know, full communism. Okay. Well then I, I guess maybe a better question then would be how does it, how does the wage system work under a state, state, state socialism? Well, wages, as far as I know, like if you look at, for example, the Soviet union, uh, there was like three or four tiers of wages based on, um, whether someone was skilled or not or something like that. Like there was, um, regular, like unskilled labor and then skilled labor and professionals. And then at the top, of course, was the party bureaucracy, the apparatchiks, or whatever they were called. Um, so yeah, there was just a few different tiers of uh, wages, as far as I know. I mean, yeah, that, that, that's how the wages were set. Won't they just make the black market of labor vouchers? Yeah, I guess there could be. I mean, they, they probably did have that. Um, but I, I don't know. Something I don't know. I haven't really studied this this fully, so I'm, I'm I'm not sure how to answer that. But as far as I understand, labor vouchers would be moving towards uh, a system that tends away from speculation and hoarding and whatnot. But yeah, of course, they if they can trade it for goods, then they can trade it for black market goods and services. So yeah, that, that probably did lead to. Um, a black market. Um, well, I don't know. The, the question of currency is is, is another. It, it's kind of another form of struggle against the old system, and it's one that's kind of complicated. Like, for example, in Cuba, um, where a lot of people um, work in the uh, what do you call it, the hospitality sector, and they get paid in American dollars because after the Soviet Union collapsed, they kind of have to rely on that. But anyways, I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure what exactly it is you want to know about um, currency or monetary systems. I mean, I ask because as in the capitalist systems, it's exploitive because, you know, um, profit is driven to the top. It's driven to the, to the bourgeoisie, to the upper class, um, yeah. while, while wages are lowered, which means people are living in poverty and that creates uh, inequality. So... Yeah. What I'm asking is, how does state socialism prevent that inequality with a wage system? Well, yeah, they still have a wage system, but there's, like I said, there's only a few different tiers of wages. Um, the, so, and even then, like the wages would still largely be, they would largely be determined, you know, through working through the working class, and pretty much like how much uh, effort they put into their work and how productive they are. Uh, like a lot of people do say that uh, wages are subjective and to an extent there is some truth in that but like 
I would imagine like now people would uh, start getting paid based on how productive they are at this point, like with a lot of the barriers of racism and sexism and, uh, you know, class uh, advantages removed, uh, the wage system becomes uh, far more fair and equal, uh, obviously. And it would probably eventually have to end up transitioning to a, a to an instance where you know wages are no longer needed it's just that like for the transitional time being the best thing we can do is make sure that people are paid uh you know from each according from each according to their ability to each according to their well under socialism would be from each according to their ability to each according to the contribution communism is when yeah. from each according to their ability to each according right. to their need right so yes the wage system becomes more equitable because things like oh my daddy is pretty rich or i have connections and all that uh those get removed uh ideally and therefore like the only thing that's really holding a person back is like how predicted they want to be and that's in my opinion how socialism actually encourages people you know to be active and to work and to be passionate about their work because like you know now that people are going to be being paid based on their productivity they have more of a desire to go seek uh what uh what jobs they know they they'll be good at and what jobs they'll love rather than just go seek the job that's fashionable or because you know they have some sort of obligation to do so or a job that would be denied to them based on certain factors so that's how we see the wage system as being more equitable under the uh under the worker state system well i mean to my understanding uh under leninism at the time when russia was was in that transition um my understanding is that that wasn't really the case where people could could choose the job they would like to do. It seemed more like that was determined by what you got from the state, as well as um, like base, and as well as having more workers in, in 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 a certain place than there needed to be. For example, like you know, in a butcher shop, there'd be there'd be more there'd be like three clerks instead of just one. So, uh, are you saying this as ideally? Or are you saying this as this was the reality under Leninism? I would I would say that's. Uh... I would say it was more, I'd say this is definitely more ideally, but like, the, but like the thing is that like complications within the London state, especially due to the need to industrialize and all that kind of messed things up a little bit. However, there are also instances like from, I remember like, you know, you see all these people like who are like from ex communist countries saying that now I can't work as an engineer or a scientist anymore because my industry closed down and now I have to go work in this place that I don't really want to be. Uh, a lot of people lost their jobs because they were no longer profitable uh, once they once the communist system collapsed. That's why you have like a you have like a massive brain drain from the uh, more older people in the Eastern Bloc. Uh, what they like what they did and want to do is no longer going to be valued by capitalism. And they can't get the and they can't get any sort of wages for that, despite the fact that they have the ability to be insanely productive. Yeah, I don't think there's any system right now that can give people like the perfect unlimited range of choices for what kind of job they want, because that's basically impossible um, under a, a scarce economy. It's not till we get to post scarcity that um, it's not till we get to post scarcity when we have a situation where you can just do anything that you want and, and the sky's the limit, you can spend all your day being like an artist or whatever. Um, un- until then there's, you, you know, there's certain sectors that need people to work in them. And, and, and those people, uh, when you get a job, you, you're going to be probably assigned with 
based on that there's going to be some uh personal choice factored into it but it, it necessarily kind of has to be a balance of both um but even like even putting that for uh putting that to the side um i think the biggest advantage when you have um state socialism is that it provides full employment that's something that they pretty much um, came very close to achieving, if not almost completely achieved um, in workers' states, such as the Soviet Union. That's something that has never happened in uh, under capitalism because it's actually desired not. I mean, I don't have to sell uh, uh, why capitalism is bad to you, but um, point being that um, the fact that they had full employment, that's that's proof that they, they were taking a step, a step in the right direction, even if they couldn't get to a, a point where everyone had the job that they wanted to have. Full employment is a bad idea. We need full unemployment. Yeah, but that's that's way off. That's utopia. Yeah. That's that's a post-scarcity, full-communist society. We're, we're talking about what we can achieve. Yeah, okay, the- okay, I have a little thing. Um, you talk about, like, beyond, like, so-called state socialist societies, people have reached in a level where I mean, but is that really necessary in in a time where more and more jobs are becoming more and more obsolete because of technology? Like, wouldn't it be better to just take advantage of it and decentralize and use it for the wor- workers, use it for their own advantage? Yeah. Um. You're kind of okay. So you're asking, isn't full employment bad? Because oh, careful there. You're saying isn't full employment bad because uh, we have automation and therefore we don't need full employment because we can no, just automate. No, I was saying like, why would you like what? How would you have full employment when you have all those machines taking away people's jobs? Like those labor isn't necessary, so we well, can do, do something the- else. I don't. I don't get why that would be a problem. They they just find something else for them to do. If there's nothing else for them to do, then we've we've already made it to full communism. So there's no, hey, there's Evan, no problem um, there. Who's they? Who who who, do you, who are you describing as they? Who who's choosing that the jobs for the people? Who who's doing that? Well, ideally, it would be a democratically planned economy. Right, but yeah. but yeah, there would there would be someone in a role uh, that facilitates the assignment of jobs. So yeah, it would be probably one, people like I do believe human resources honesty. deals with this sorts of thing, doesn't it? Or is human resources something else? Yeah, like a like, like a an unemployment office, you mean like that? Well, like ideally, like you know, when people have a sort of freedom, like in the education system, to pretty much uh, show off their skills and whatnot. Uh, it becomes apparent what they're good at, what they're passionate in, because usually there is a yeah. massive correlation between being good at something and actually liking it. Uh, because you know you, the motivation to do something takes over. Uh, so by the time you have your skills set, like uh, pretty much you'll, a lot of people under socialism will, will already know what they want to do and they'll probably follow it through um, once they graduate and all that. Uh, not everyone was like continuously redirected, and if they were redirected, then well. Uh, it's probably because, like, you know, the economy is, like, pretty much lacking in the production of necessary goods and services in some places. And, like, 
you know, without the need. And like sometimes like push comes to shove and all that. And like if for those that are unsure, well, again, even under capitalism, we still have people that, you know, see others that help them find what sorts of careers are looking for. Yeah. Uh, point being that uh, technology driven unemployment is only a problem under capitalism because, in, it, you know, in, uh, under capitalism, it, it causes um, some contradictions. How can you have the system function like that when there's no buying power because you're laying some, um, so many people off? But mm-hmm. under socialism, it's not a problem at all. It's a it's a good problem to have if if you can't find work for people. If all the work's already being being done, then it's like we made it. There's we're good. Right. Well, so then, what what would the function of a state be in like what we call like a transhumanist society? Then, like why 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 would we need a state if everything's going to be automated? Well, we need a state until we get there. Until we get there. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you have the technology, though. We don't not not all of no, it. I, I would argue not. We don't have all the technology. We're we're getting. I think I think we're close to that, but we're not. We're not quite there. Because there and plus there are just some things that can't be automated. You know, yeah. Like a like a medical doctor, I guess. But then again, there's plenty of people who love to be doctors. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. All right. Let me let me go on to another topic because <laughs> I think we've kind of been there long enough. Um, we did kind of cover these uh, more or less. Um, okay, let me see. All right, so um, if okay, so when we're talking about state socialism, that doesn't necessarily mean a classist society, right? That because like communism is, is the class of society is, is what we, is what we mean. But in, in state socialism, would you, would you say that state socialism implies a classless society? No, no, no. If there's a state, then there's then, the, then there's still class warfare to be waged. Yeah but, but, yeah, but what happens is that the state becomes the capitalist class? You basically turn like the Soviet Union state was basically just one giant corporation. How is it a corporation when it's a public entity that represents everyone? Because it accumulates, because it accumulates surplus values and uses it to buy weapons to blow people up. It it was a very imperialistic and. What are you done? Oh, um, well, yeah, you, it uses surplus value to buy weapons uh, to, well, to defend itself. They they had to defend themselves. They were under constant threat. Yeah, pretty much. Vinny, you got anything to add to that? Any rebuttal? I'm still trying to come up with one, to be honest. I know it's so cringeworthy. Yeah. <laughs> Bobby? Also, um, to kind of add on to Vegan's points about the Soviet Union, another thing about the Soviet Union was that it was not nearly as worker-friendly as it presented itself in its public propaganda. Um, it... Um, 
and I mean, like workers had essentially, well, they had more rights than they did in the USA and Nazi Germany at the time, but still, like workers that that um, that went against the the state and actually tried to put actual communism into practice at like creating a stateless classless moneyless society um because the soviet union was a state and as such it had the economic con- and social concerns of a state um and the nature of a state is essentially to create a monopoly upon violence in a certain geographic area. Um, the like the that created very repressive conditions for Soviet workers as Noam Chomsky, whom I don't always agree with on everything, stated in an interview, workers were virtual slaves in the Soviet Union. It was almost the precise opposite of socialism in that way. How were they slaves, though? Like, um... Like, like they, a lot of the time, you get the, like some people from the ex-Soviet bloc who are who, like I said earlier, they, they a lot of them lost their jobs after the communist system collapsed, and they feel like the capitalist system like doesn't provide them the same necessities like you know necessary welfare and all that. Uh, yeah, and they feel like they and like in, you know in the former Eastern bloc, like which is like pretty much capitalist right now, they feel a lot of them feel a lot more exploited. And yeah. uh, well, there are going to be workers who do say from former Eastern Bloc who say that say they feel they're a lot more free. But then you discover a lot of them were born in 1980 or something, so like they obviously weren't working by the time it collapsed. Yeah. Well, my um, well, my point is when you have a monopoly upon violence within a certain geographic definition, which is kind of the classic definition of the state, um, that inevitably creates conditions of conflict and economic exploitation. And that's not to say that, um, that such conditions cannot exist in... Um, in a stateless society, I mean, certainly the fact that there are anarcho-capitalists would discredit that idea. Quote, anarcho-capitalist, of course. Cack. Because um, it is inconsistent to um, claim to be for freedom and at the same time support economic 
exploitation and consolidation of power in the hands of of an elite minority. I don't see how it automatically leads to exploitation. Because human nature checkmates. Oh, God. I I was joking here. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I know you were joking, vegan, because I know you, but at the same time, like that argument makes me cringe every time and it's not just when you do it it's when anyone fucking does it and the fact well, yeah, same, that people same. think that that's actually a good argument instead of a reductionist essentialist like right, right. Bobby, Bobby, Bobby 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 we need, we need to stay on topic here <laughs> main, main argument here we, we all we all agree human nature arguments bullshit Right. <laughs> right. So um right. Actually I, I, I got a I got another question. Um so as a as a as a green anarchist, as me a vegan are, we, we, we think we believe that uh hierarchy does not uh cannot possibly create a ecologically friendly society. So I, I wanna I wanna ask what what do you think justifies a state in order um how how would how would state socialism create an ecologically friendly society? Do you think? Well, for starters, a lot of environmental protectionism, I believe, best comes in the form of actual re- regulations that are pretty much backed by force. And um, you know, environmentalists and ecologists working for the state uh, may be able to help uh, better present uh, conditions for environmental protection as opposed to, let's say, collective as opposed to like let's say various anarchist communes um they may have a conflict of interest when it comes to you know needing to keep their industries or farmlands intact uh versus say uh the protection of the environment or then you have like some communes that uh, may get at odds with each other over their desire to control similar resources or resources that uh, shouldn't even be controlled um again the environment needs protection and i do believe that uh a state that like through democratic essentialism would be the legitimate uh, body to essentially ensure that protection what would you say of yeah right now state socialism is the only way to stave off economic um, environmental catastrophe due to global climate change because there's uh, you know millions of people whose livelihood depends on the destruction of the environment the only way to change that scenario is with a uh, worker state that uses democratic centralism to decide to shut down those industries and to start developing uh, cleaner ones. Um, I would like to reply, have you seen the environmental history of the Soviet Union? Yes, we are well aware of the fact that like yeah. the Soviet Union did not have the best environmental record, but like to say Tad, to say it was completely fucked in my opinion is wrong but the soviet union did have a lot of environmentalist efforts as well um east germany from what i understand was also big on environmentalism too like you know they pretty much teach kids to be to recycle and all that and not to pollute uh so yeah like it wasn't hopeless and besides at the time it wasn't like the capitalist states uh and were any better i know it's what about but like 
environmentalism pretty much grew in a movement where the Cold War was happening. So both uh, the capitalist and communist states were pretty much reacting to these uh, newly developing ideas. Yeah, I, I, I would, I would, I would answer that with um, three major points. Number one, um, with um, like in terms of climate change, um, I believe the climate change movement and the whole recognition that that is happening that we need to stop it only started around the late '80s when the entire East Bloc was already collapsing. Um, not to say that there wasn't any environmental concerns before that, but at least in terms of climate change, which is, you know, one, like the major crisis that we need to avert right now. Um, number two, just because you can make decisions doesn't mean the decisions are going to be good. But if you don't have the ability to make the decisions at all, then you're not going to change it at all. And the only way to do that is with, a, like I said, with, uh, with, with a worker state that uses democratic centralism uh, for, for the reason that I stated earlier. And number three, um, if you want to look at the modern worker state um, and their environmental record, you can look at Cuba, which is the most sustainable country on, on the earth. Um, well, well, yes. Um, nobody here disagrees that socialist states and socialist societies in general tend to have of far um of a far better environmental consciousness than capitalist societies which kind of goes without saying because socialism in general is about looking after the the people whereas capitalism is about looking after the economic interests of the quote-unquote individual, I'd argue that capitalism is not a legitimate form of individualism, and it's, and considering its hierarchical nature, it very much contradicts its claims to be individualistic, but like that's sort of the reputation it has. And the and one of the main methods by which it legitimizes itself. Hmm. Okay, nothing really to respond to there. Um, Dan, do you want to move on? Yeah. All right. Um, I guess one last point uh, I guess I want to make. Uh, let's see here. Right. What was I thinking about? Okay. Um, so I guess we, we already kind of discussed uh, inequality under state socialism. Like you, you, you'd say that inequality um, is, is sort of well, – it, se- it seems to me that a lot of state socialism has a lot to do with like necessary evil because you have to fight back against the capitalists as well as attempt to create a social society while also maintaining a power base in order to fight back against capitalists. Um, so, what, what I want to what I want to ask is uh, what what, do, what is the what is the justification to have that inequality? Um, 
Okay, because like, cause like, what are my, my thoughts are right now? Okay, I know I'm all, I know I'm kind of all over the place, but just just bear just bear with me. Okay, so to my understanding, there is there has been, of course, uh, it can be poverty under state socialism. I mean, like like you say, yes, you guys have full employment. Uh, you 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 think that um, people can really have can choose what they what they what they would like to do. Um, and of course, until like automation, which is then you know anybody can actually really authentically do whatever they like to. Um, but then, you know, how does how does poverty? How can poverty exist under state socialism when you claim that anybody can uh, basically do whatever they whatever they like? Because like you know, there's so the Soviet style apartments that exist uh, with that that exists in Russia right now. You know, they're big buildings but small rooms, and lots of families like live in them. And of course, there's some places that are incredibly dirty and stuff like that. Uh, I mean, of course, I mean I'm saying more or less as of today but that that still existed like in the 80s and 70s and 60s within the ussr um so i guess my question is uh how why does poverty exist under under state socialism when you claim to have full employment as well as anybody can can choose what 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 they would like to do well for starters i think uh this like for starters, like there's multiple points. This for starters, those Soviet apartments you mentioned in the 70s and 80s weren't actually uh, exclusive to uh, communist to state socialism. I mean, you can find them in capitalist countries, like uh, in the for- in, like in the Middle East. You can see them in Canada. I've seen them in America. I've seen them. Like it's just like uh, low cost housing. Don't know why it has to look so ugly, but <laughs> right. I don't know. Like to blame it on state socialism is completely unfair. I mean, like actual state socialist architecture would be like Karl Marx Alley in Berlin or um, the Stalinist architecture, uh, like the Palace of uh, Arts and Science, Arts and Sciences in Warsaw, uh, in Poland. Uh, can, can I stop right there? Can I stop right there? Um, I, I was using the Soviet apartments as sort of an example as to how poverty exists, because like you know you have because like usually state bureaucrats and in in uh, under state socialist societies have you know larger houses, they have better living spaces, um, and usually you know have better facilities as well. While those who are like skilled and even unskilled laborers usually would have you know houses and have you know very good plumbing and utilities and stuff like that i mean like i in fact read this within putin's own biography where he lived in a very poor part of stalingrad in the late 50s and early 60s so um i mean my question is is more or is more or less in general how poverty exists under under state socialism well another thing also is that like just because like you know state socialists have like removed a lot of the capitalist instances that like let's say a lot of capitalist tendencies doesn't mean that Poverty won't uh, automatically disappear, like, but the thing is, is that the Soviet Union reduced a lot of poverty that had been occurring in the ex-Russian uh, Empire, and Castro had reduced a lot of poverty that had been going on uh, in the ex-Batistas, Cuba, Mao, and the former King Empire and all that, uh, if that was the right dynasty. So, yes, uh, there was still poverty, but it was greatly reduced. Uh, and not to mention, like, even though like uh, people still... I, I wouldn't argue that they were uh, 
poor-ish, they still had a lot of their necessities met, like education, healthcare, and all that. Even if infrastructure wasn't the best, it was certainly uh, a leg up from what they used to have or what they could have had uh, had they still been uh, continuing under these uh, mafia-run, uh, right-wing, uh, under right-wing capitalist dictatorships. Yeah, the people... Someone, the people, the people were poor because the. Hang on, is someone calling? Huh. Nah. Maybe it's a fan right. who heard me on the argument. <laughs> yeah, um, go on. I yeah, also the, um. Hang on, hang on. I'm going first. Yeah, yeah. Let, let Evan go. Let Evan go. The people are the people are poor because the country is poor. Like socialism is not a get rich quick scheme. It doesn't put gold in the hills or oil in the ground. They only have so much resources in the first place. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I I, I guess you're coming from from there. Uh, Bobby, you had something to say? Um. Yeah. Like. Um. I just. I just like to point out. Um. Um. A lot of. Um, a lot of state socialists seem to be really skilled at at pointing out capitalist classism, yet they seem to have like some sort of blinders on when it comes to the classism of their own leaders. I mean, in my experience, and I'm not saying all state socialists are like that, but a lot of the ones I've met have been like that. So you mean like the whole leaders live in wealth while the poor people live in poverty thing, right? Well, well, yeah, it's, but it's not just that. It's more the fact that like the like the whole idea behind um state socialism is basically that um like the whole core premise behind state socialism is that the workers um are not at a level where they can can um and where where they can um manage their own affairs effectively and obviously as an anarchist I would strongly disagree with that and um, and and so like this whole notion of of the vanguard party it's basically transferring power from one um, oppressive exploitative hierarchy to another and that seems rather counterproductive to me well well here's just some few things about the whole disparity thing for starters a lot of socialist leaders uh although they lived i, I wouldn't argue that they lived uh, more comfortably than the average worker but like they didn't not all of them had the palace i mean stalin was believed to have lived completely frugally and like modestly and so there's that so there's that and not to mention that it is a little cynical that it does become a bit of a club and all that 
However, like it wasn't uh, there wasn't like such a massive disparity like compared to say in capitalist countries where like you have your average worker and then you have the rich and then you have like the rich people like owning a massive significant portion of the wealth. Like uh, the disparity was a lot more closer in under like you know the worker states. It was there. I wouldn't argue that, and that was a bit of a flaw. You know, revisionism comes in and all that, but it was technically far smaller than the disparities you'd see elsewhere. And right now, like we can see an even mass, far more massive disparity in the uh, post nineteen ninety one era in the Eastern Bloc states, where like the mafia and the government officials are like insanely far more rich than the others, like the workers they lived under. All right. Anybody else got anything to add to that? Um, Bobby? Yeah. um, The, like, like, so, um, a lot of state socialists seem to basically, um, basically um, attribute all the oppression of of capitalism to the profit motive and class consolidation and 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 ignore the the common problems that both um that both state socialism and capitalism inherently produce, which is economic and um, consolidation of wealth and and hierarchical consolidation of power. I don't think a consolidation of wealth really happens that much under state socialism, or at, at least not nearly as much as under capitalism. So I don't think they're ignoring that. And consolidation of power, that's something that's sometimes necessary, as for reasons that I explained earlier. So, Right. Right. You, you, you say wealth as in like stuff like basic necessities, right? That's what you mean as in like, you know... Uh, what what I put it like basic health, basic health care, food, water, correct stuff like that. Okay, I mean I was asking that for Evan, but yeah, I, I assume that's what you meant. Okay, um, I kind of want let's let's change the conversation real quick. Um, considering it's just been anarchist sort of really just asking Elena's questions. Well, why don't you, why don't you guys ask ask us questions? You got you guys got anything to ask us, uh, Evan and Sergio? Um, pretty much just like how would anarchists ensure things like universal health care, universal education, universal public transportation, and all that? We did have that during Anarchist Catalonia. Mm-hmm. It wasn't perfect, but it was it was pretty... I, I'd rather not say more because I still have a kind of a little bit of ignorance, so I'd rather have like the other two anarchists talk about about, about in depth. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Oh, Bobby, go ahead. Yeah, and um, like the like a lot of anarchists tend to support um what's called a universal basic income, and what that does is it is um it essentially 
provides um, people and workers with all their basic necessities, healthcare, education, and so on. And, and it's decentralized. So, um, so it's, so it's harder for the state or some capitalist corporation to just, just pass a law to get rid of it than it would be if it was a more sent, um, than it was a more traditional centralized governmental law. Um, and, and that's sort of the advantage of decentralization in, in general, decentralization, it's not perfect, obviously, because nothing is, but it, to me, decentralization allows for, for people to get their needs met far more easily than centralization does. All right. Very nice. Add to is, uh, well, I mean, a lot of kind of how healthcare worked under anarchist Catalonia, if I remember correctly, was, well, basically, of course, if anybody wanted to be a doctor or wanted to help out with medical care, they could. Everybody also had, you know, I, I, this, it's, it's a bit of a broad subject, of course, but basically, um, of course, even under under a capitalist society, a doctor will help somebody in need no matter what. Um, usually, anyway. I mean, unless they're like absolute quacks. But in anarchist Catalonia, um, basically, you know, health healthcare worked as in there was doctors and nurses, and they and they had their own hospitals, and uh, uh, of course, um, of course, and that was of course that was absolutely necessary considering this was in the middle of a war. Um, so, and basically, uh, there was like, of course, the unions. Which were which basically like the med- med- medical uh, what do you call them? medical units as well as you know doctors nurses and so on were were all were all mostly a part of as this as this was they were all part of the CNT um, and they basically could make their own decisions within within that within the ranges of the hospital and whatnot um, and and they also got a lot of their materials actually medical care was a lot better than it was before the 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 Catalan Revolution. Um, mostly because glassware wasn't a thing <laughs> in Spain, mostly. There was very few, at least in Catalonia, there was very, very, very few uh, ways to make glass, which, of course, is very important in order to create medical, uh, uh, what do you call it, like, like medical shit, medical materials, yeah, um, which were provided by, of course, fa- uh, the factory unions who created that glass and, and you know, they transported that to to those health systems uh to the to those, those hospitals and whatnot so, so basically i i would say that's that's basically how it works you know they just they they agreed that uh, the, between between the the medical union and those factory unions they agreed to transfer uh those materials to those hospitals that's that's basically how that that's basically how healthcare worked right um so i, ho- I hope that answers your question it's it, there's a lot to do with healthcare, um, you can, of course, I mean, of course, you could, I could basically just say through all this, just go read the anarchist fact. I mean, of course, you would say also, why don't you just go read State and Revolution? <laughs> but that's, th- there's a lot to it, and, you know, there's a lot more research to it, but I say that's basically how healthcare works. 
Okay. I suppose. Yeah. Um. So you know. Uh. All right. Um. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's see. How long have we been going on here for? Like an hour and a half or so. More or less. Yeah. Okay. Uh, any closing statements anybody wants to make? Yeah, we London is totally won. <laughs> um. Yep, we won as usual. Kronstadt, yay. Nah. Um. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Vegan Bobby, anything anything else you want to say uh, before we go? Um. Yeah, basically, um, I know you... There have been many examples of decentralized societies able to keep themselves safe from bigger aggressors. Whether it's ancient Greece, which was just a bunch of city-states, or the Iroquois. And the necessities like food, shelter, medical care, etc. were were able to historically to be provided in Argos, Catalonia. And standard living did increase and there was no class distinctions. And so it's so I think that anarchism would be better than than Marxism Leninism because historically there has been less inequality and and yeah it may be harder to defend yourself but but even then like there, it's not impossible yeah and also um, to add on to Vegan's point again um, the while state socialism um, pro- provides um, for an easier defense. There are still methods by which anarchists can defend themselves, such as um, workers' militias and things of of that sort. I'm something... um, I'm something of a pacifist, so... um, I mean, obviously, I'm not a total pacifist. I do believe in self-defense, but um, so the and also, I tend to find the idea of of militias kind of uh, minarchistic as opposed to truly anarchistic, and and obviously, there is a distinction there that a lot of state socialists in my experience fail to make. Yeah, and also we can have civilians learn basic guns and techniques so they can have like a like whenever they get ambushed they have whatever they need to defend themselves because they're trained. Like they do in Switzerland. They never get, almost very rarely get invaded because well, they're pretty good at defending themselves, and yet again, they're very decentralized. They're also in the middle of mountains, but okay. That's true, yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. a technical advantage. So, um, yeah. Uh, I also kind of this, – this is kind of a bit my own perspective. I, I mean, I, I, I can see where you guys are coming from with, like, you know, these repressive measures. There has to be repressive measures in order to preserve the revolution as well as uh, to defend against capitalist invaders and so on. I but I I believe that I don't think there should be suffering for for people no matter even if it is in the long run that'll be beneficial because I think that life 
is 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 better is is better preserved when people are happier when they when they're able to do what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, even even if that means that you know there's a possibility of losing all of that, it's the happiest moment of people's lives will be within within that deter- within that determined range. I know, like for example, a documentary, a living utopia. Catalonian anarchists have said you know, that that were that were still alive then. You know when they were interviewed, they said that was like the happiest moments in their lives. And I think that's 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 what needs to be provided to people. I think that people deserve to be happy, and I think that way is is through anarchism. It's better um, to it's better to live on your on your feet. I mean, to be, it's better to die on your feet and live on your knees. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Sure. As as well. As well as uh, authoritarianism usually creates less less empathetic individuals, as well as creates an unfairness, which you know creates unhappiness. So that, that's just personally my view. Really, that's just like you know, I'm not I'm not saying that's like the most efficient way to defend a revolution. I'm not saying that's that. I'm just I just think you know, even if it's in the short run, I think it's just better to just to have people live live happier live happier lives also just to, to simply preserve a very far gone future world where it's only then that people can be happy also i'd like to point out that um that sure archism cre- creates prosperity and order in the short term but it almost always um always Ways um, deadens creative, um, but it almost always um, impinges upon creative freedom, which is kind of a big deal for me as an artist, and and it almost always leads to massive amounts of censorship and and privilege in the hands of a few. Right. Well, that's, that's a discussion for another day. Um, so I think I think we're just going to end it here then. Uh, thank thanks everybody for for watching our live broadcast. Uh, yeah, it was pretty good. It was it, this was very this was a very educational experience, even if we almost killed each other over it. Make <laughs> sure you subscribe to uh, my channel, The Vegan Anarchist, and Bobby's Egoist um, Pistivist Philosophy. Right. Yeah. yeah. So subscribe to us. Description below. Um. And yeah, also for those who are listening to us uh, through SoundCloud, uh, this will probably be the last podcast because we're just mainly using YouTube from now on. Uh, I will still be probably making those Revolutions episodes, which I know it's still a very long time coming. I just had so much trouble scheduling people, but um, yeah, we'll, def- we'll definitely be those for now. But basically, this will probably be our last podcast. So uh, thank you, Vegan Anarchist and Bobby, for joining us. Um, We'll see all you comrades soon. And at least we can all agree on that capitalism sucks. Yep. Right. Yeah. Fuck capitalism. Fuck capitalism in the animals. Fuck capitalism. Save the animals. (laughs) All right. Well, see you later. Bye. Which side are you on, boys? Which side are you on? Which side are you Sorry, brother said, oh, we must give the Which people the power so they can stop all this. You know, but the people have the power. What we want to tell them is you have the power.
urge you um, to speak out against those who would place the United States in a position of military and moral inferiority. wondering why um, death rates are going up and suicide is going up and drug abuse. Aren't they wondering? Don't they understand? They're more paid what our labor is worth. That's why we often in the days on the way to our work. And when we get there, we can't wait to be out. So let me tell you what it's about. And now we never get the problem with capitalism is that you can cry this from its very beginning. From somewhere I would say late 18th century, there are prophets who claim capitalism is nearing its end. It's like a stupid bird phoenix. The more you eat, you know, it returns. I got hungry. Let's grab something to eat. What? No meat? Only for vegetarians? The generation. 